I find it interesting that even when God is pleased to reveal his sovereign plan, it is most often the case that he keeps himself uh, from revealing the steps by which all of his plan will come to pass. Uh, I think of this in terms of the prophecies about the Messiah, where we're told, uh, strangely, that he will be uh, a Nazarene, that he will be from Bethlehem, that he will be a Judahite, that he will be a Galilean, that he will come from Egypt. And you think, well, how can one person come from so many places? And then when you watch the story, you see how all of that unfolds. Well, we see the failure and the problem uh, with respect to God's not revealing, not that God failed, man's failure to trust God in the outworking of God's plan, even when God is pleased to reveal portions of that plan. We're turning our attention now to Genesis chapter 16. Uh, we looked last time together at Genesis 15, this glorious chapter where God not only makes covenant with Abraham, uh, but secures and establishes the certainty of this covenant by uh, in, symbolically in himself as this flaming torch and as this pot going between these cut animals, saying, if, if this covenant is not kept, it'll be on me, not on you. It's an astonishing promise, and Abraham believed God. But you know, once you believe God, it doesn't mean you're going to believe him the next time. You see, when we come to Genesis chapter 16, we come to yet another failure, yet another rejection of God's promises and God's ways and God's law on the heels of God's grace. I want you to, you know, we've talked in the past about how uh, Noah's failure in drinking too much wine and getting drunk is a recapitulation or a reiteration of the fall of Adam and Eve. Well, you have a similar kind of thing going on here uh, in this story. Genesis 16, by the way, is the account of Abraham and Hagar coming together. The plot that comes before that, it actually happening, and then the fruit that comes from it. Well, uh, as we noted in Genesis 15, we're in this place of blessing, we're in this place of establishment. God and Abram are on the same side. Things are going well. God says to Abram, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the father of many nations. But he doesn't say how. And Abram's probably thinking, well, I, you know, I guess maybe at some point, you know, God's going to give us a son. But I'm thinking it's got to be soon, given our ages. Surely, uh, you know, God came, he made this promise and, gee, Sarah's still not pregnant. Sarah's still not pregnant. Sarah is, every time she finds out she's not pregnant, is frustrated. She's disappointed. She's concerned that this promise isn't going to come to pass. She gets an idea. Well, God made the promise. Maybe the way God's going to fulfill this promise is if you 
Abram, take Hagar, my servant, as your wife. And Abram says, okay, I'll do it. That remind you of anything? Here is Abram, who's called to lead, to protect, to guard his wife, who is to be the mother of the faithful, to protect her. He failed to do so in the context of Pharaoh. And now he fails again by agreeing with her foolish and unfaithful suggestion. Remind you of anybody? Adam failing to guard and to protect his bride, standing by silently while she engages in conversation with this serpent who leads her to doubt God's word and then following her suggestion and tasting of the fruit. And remember that this fruit was a good fruit. It was a blessed fruit. It was going to be something Adam and Eve are, were going to be invited by God to partake of in his timing. First, you got to learn obedience. First, you got to not take it. And when you show me that you can do that, then I'm going to let you have it. Well, they didn't believe. They believed in the promise. Oh, good. God's going to let us have this. Oh, but how and when? Maybe we should take it just now. Maybe he'll be pleased. He's told us it's good. He's told us he's going to give it to us. Maybe we should take it now. And they leave behind their own call to obedience, which is just what Abram did in this context. Now, in the future, not too long from now, we're going to get to the story of Abram and Isaac and Mount, si uh, Mount uh, Moriah and the sacrifice. And, and there's a place where Abram really shines. I mean, shines. I think it's in Hebrews we're told a little bit about the process of Abram's thinking in this context. Just as we said from the beginning, God doesn't always reveal how he's going to fulfill his promises. And so we're supposed to wait and to trust. And so here's God who's told Abram, the promises are going to come through your son, Isaac, and I want you to kill him. And Abram thinks to himself, well, God wants me to kill him. I guess God's going to raise him from the dead. Now, when Abraham had that guess as to how God was going to bring this to pass, it didn't turn out that's what was going to happen. But when he had that guess, you need to understand that to that point in history, no one had been raised from the dead yet. Not a single soul. It's before this, Enoch had been translated. That's true. But no one had been raised from the dead. The concept wouldn't even exist. And yet Abram said, well, I guess that's what God's going to have to do if he's going to have me kill him. 
but not this time. This time it's a major swing and a miss. This time he goes in and takes as his wife, Hagar. Now we mentioned that Abram failed to protect his wife. He failed to protect her in part by following her, by heeding her suggestion. What he should have said to her is, you know, that's not what God wants. God wants us, just like Adam and Eve, one man, one woman. God doesn't want me to take another wife. We're going to have a child. Sir, I know it's hard for you to believe. I know at your age it seems impossible. But you know what really is impossible? It's impossible, Sarai, to follow God's will while disobeying him. You can't do God's thing man's way. You can only do God's thing God's way. That's what he should have said. Which reminds me of this just beautiful uh, piece I heard uh, from Pastor Tim Ross a few years ago. Uh, my wife Lisa and I attended online uh, or actually in a satellite church, uh, the XO conference that's put on every year at Gateway Church in Texas. And one of the speakers regularly, he's been there both times that we've been attending, is a gentleman by the name of Tim Ross. And the first time he talked about what Adam should have done, what would have happened in the garden after Eve ate and before Adam ate, if instead of the first Adam being there, the second Adam had been there? Or what if the first Adam had done what he should have done, which is what the second Adam would have done? I grant that it's speculation, but it's just to illustrate a point. What if Adam came and there's Eve and she's bitten this fruit and she offers it to Adam? Adam's heartbroken. Adam rushes to Eve, not to eat of the fruit, but to wrap his arms around her. Oh, sweetheart, what have you done? What have you done? Oh, my love, our Heavenly Father loves us. And he's promised us blessing after blessing. He's given us blessing after blessing, and he told us not to do this. What? I can't take that. We were made bone of bone, flesh of flesh. We have become one and now you have gone someplace that I cannot go. And God's promise was that the day you eat of it, you'll die. I don't want to be without you. Sweetheart, I don't know what he'll say. I don't know what he'll do. But I know what I'm going to ask him. Maybe, just maybe, I don't know, but maybe he would be willing to take me in your place. Maybe I can receive the punishment for what you've done. 
I love you, Eve. And we are one. And I would be pleased to take this on myself for your sake. Can you imagine if it had gone that way? Well, that's not what Adam did. And that's not what Abram did. Abram followed. And the fruit of that decision was more hardship, more discord and disharmony, more warfare in this home that should have been a place of peace and joy. We have Hagar sort of lording it over Sarai. And you, you, can you blame her? I mean, quite apart from, hey, I've got a child and you don't. Hey, I gave Abram a child and you didn't. There's got to be some anger. You treat me like a bargaining chip? You, you, you decide I'm going to marry Abram? The two of you have a conversation and off I go? No wonder she was angry. No wonder she was bitter at Sarah. So would I be. And so Sarah comes to Abram. She's like, hey, Hagar is like getting snooty. She's getting uppity. Uh, now what does Abram do? You see, he used to have a wife who had a servant. Now he has two wives. Any protection and love and care for Sarai that he could give is the same that he owes to Hagar. How in the world is he going to get out of this? Well, what he does is he rolls over again. He abdicates again. He says to Sarai, do whatever you want. It's up to you. You're in charge. He didn't go and say to Sarai and to Hagar, I have sinned. We've done wrong. And I, as the head of this house, am responsible for the wrong that we have done. We need to get on our knees and I'm going to, I want you to follow me. We need to get on our knees. We need to pray to the Lord God and ask him, what in the world are we supposed to do? But in the meantime, while we're trying to figure that out, we're going to treat each other with dignity and with respect. We're going to treat each other with honor. We're going to follow what God commands. That's what he should have done. Which is not to say that that's what I would have done if I was in this situation. I probably would have done even worse than he did. One of the things I want you to get from this story is just that. This is Abraham, the father of the faithful, the one chosen by God to be the father of the faithful.
the one called out, the one he made covenant with, the one he honors, the one he promises to, the one who hears the promise, the one who is ready later on to sacrifice his son Isaac, the same one who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who has been born again, fails again. Spectacularly. I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. In the church, we seem to think that Jesus died for the scandalous sins we did before we became a believer. And from that point forward, our sins amount to using the wrong fork with our salad. Accidentally bumping into someone. Occasionally losing our temper when we hit a hammer on our thumb. No, you know the kind of sins believers commit? They take second wives. They abdicate their authority and their responsibility to lead and protect their families. What does God do? God stoops down and appears not to Abram, not to Sarai, but to Hagar. And he gives her promise and he gives her direction. In her sorrow, she departs. He sends her back and blesses her. He is going to bless Abram and Sarai as well. Friends, this is the God that we serve. The God who shows us grace and we are ungrateful and we make things worse and we defy him and we try to figure out how to get from where we are to the place of blessing. And in figuring that out, we cast aside his map, which is nothing other than his law. We don't have to figure out, just like Abram will not have to figure out how in the world a dead Isaac is going to be the one through whom the promise has come, just like he shouldn't have had to figure out how he was going to have a son when he and his wife were so old. We don't have to figure out any of that. All our strategizing is nothing more than trying to take the reins from the living God. Our strategy should be profoundly simple. We are his children, which means he calls us not to figure out what he means, but to accept and to obey what he says. Abram is going to learn this by God's grace and by God's power. And he is going to be the father of the faithful. So let us learn to follow him in the faith and not in the faithlessness. And when we fail, let us go to our Father in repentance.